Welcome back to this bonus edition of Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition, episode 131. Well done. It's just going to get more and more recursive. Yep, exactly. Uh, So, okay, so in this one, a number of things happened in this episode. Um, We had the whole thing with Hezekiah almost dying, but then being brought back to life by Yahweh and or a fig Newton. Uh, and then actually dying. And then actually dying, yes. Uh, and what else What else happened in this one? We had some more kings, some wicked ones. They made some temples to other gods again. Uh, you know, a lot of excitement. A lot of excitement here. So the thing that I looked up for this bonus episode was um, I looked up about that stuff about the fig poultice. And then also when... The king, when King Hezekiah asked for proof that it was Yahweh doing it and not mm-hmm. just the fig Newton that fixed him, uh, and the whole Single thing about the, the the sun going back some number of degrees or something. So, okay, here's what I got. First, figs. Not a lot interesting here. I could but, go for a good fig right now. Sounds yeah. delightful. We used to have them at work on a pizza with tempeh yeah. bacon and a really good and balsamic reduction. Oh, you can! Oh. I know this is not vegan, but you can Boy. put like blue cheese inside a fig, also, and that's just like really wonderful and tasty. And mm. yeah, no, that's a lot of good I'll fig-based pizzas I've had. It. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so oh, you know what? I confused it. It's blue cheese inside a date. My bad. Oh yeah. Okay. Peanut butter inside a date. My oh yeah, oh, that's, mm, good. that's a good. One too. Yeah, mm. okay. I'm hungry. So here's <laughs> the deal. Before we get too hungry, let's let's get through this episode so we can go eat. Uh, okay, so um, in the IVP Bible background commentary, they have um, some commentary based on other commentary from rabbinical Jewish and classical oh, sources yeah. Classic. like Pliny the Elder. And oh, like that great beer. It's yes, very boozy. Yes, that beer. That's anyway, so for one, they shared the belief that dried figs had medicinal value and that it was used for such a thing. Now, the deal with poultices, this was interesting, is it talks about how poultices were not so much used as a treatment, but as a diagnosis tool when people huh. were sick. Basically, you would make a poultice out of something, I guess figs in this case, or some other thing, and you would I've put it... I've heard of, like, onion poultices. Okay, yeah. So you would put it on the the skin, I guess, wherever the, the boil or whatever is, and then in a day or two, you would then take it off and check for either the reaction of the skin to the poultice or the reaction of the poultice to whatever it was on, on the skin. Huh. So... Potentially it was that, although I did read, I found, I came across a blog and it's like, I'm scared to even try to find it again to read it for you because it was so just every which way. It was like some woman's stream of consciousness about this section in the Bible, but she talks about her mother putting figs on boils, I guess because she read about it in the Bible, but also that she would bury a dish rag in the backyard and lots of superstitions around things like this. That's put a knife under the bed when you're having a baby. What? Yeah, all sorts of all those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, anyway, that's kind of what I found about figs. It's like, yeah, uh, I guess it was a a thing. It was a thing that people might have used. But you haven't found any any ties to any kind of traditional medicine that 
any kind of science that would justify why figs? Was it just literally like, I'm going to grab the closest thing I got. I'm going to go into the fruit bowl and just slap it on you. <laughs> I found maybe some it's stuff. acidic. I found some stuff about figs being healthy for you, but if you eat them. <laughs> so I didn't really find a lot about yeah. topical use of figs. So Did you Google topical use of figs, though? Okay, let me just... I'm telling you, Jace, this is going to be the next essential oil of topical that comes out. They love, they love using the biblical basis that's to justify. True. Wait, that's is true. that an, uh, is our essential oils like a biblical thing? Oh, Emily, there's a big, if you imagine a Venn diagram oh. of like Bible, hardcore Bible believers and like hardcore essential oil yeah, believers. It all makes sense now. Your mom, Venn diagram. Yep. my partner's sister. Yes. Yeah. Okay, it all makes sense now. Uh, Okay, okay, all right. I did look this up, and I actually found uh, WebMD has a thing on figs. Oh. And they say that the fruit is used for conditions such as constipation and diarrhea. The leaf Uh is used for conditions such as diabetes, high cholesterol, and skin conditions. And the milky sap is used on skin for warts. And the fruit is used on skin for eczema and for other skin conditions. Huh. But, so that's just wow. what WebMD says? There is no good scientific evidence to support any of these uses. Well, so that's WebMD's stance on this. They say like, it is used, but, but by whom? Are they talking just about the Bible? Are they talking about certain indigenous communities? Like, what are they talking about? Who? It's used. It is used. Maybe it's all from maybe the Bible. Gotta, Who knows? Maybe we got to go do some fig-based science experiments. I got it. I, I injured myself. I told you about my dish doing injury i got this big old like chunk of my flesh that's missing maybe i should mash some fig all up in there but someone needs to get a wart and go to town on it yeah yeah the the question here though is do we use the fruit the leaf or the milky sap because those are three different things used for treatment well in the bible he said take a cake of figs yeah but this translation is not to be trusted (laughs) so could could really be anything I'm okay. just going right. to say next time I have a skin condition, I'm going to eat some Fig Newtons and see what happens. Hope it all works eat out. some, strap some onto your skin, um, maybe mash some up into some sort of little poultice and also strap that up onto your skin. Just yeah. everything, every which way. Yeah, inside and out. That, exactly. Okay, so as far as the time moving backwards thing, so what I found out about this was actually pretty cool. So first of all, the translation in books like The Message, where it actually does call it a sundial, uh, and ours didn't, calling it a sundial is an anachronism because the first sundial did not exist until like 200-ish, 150-ish BC. Well, the World English Bible Translator called it a dial. Right. What what would you call it if not a sundial? Well, the interpretation that I seem to find is that this whole sundial of Ahaz, that like Ahaz being mentioned, that this was actually more likely a building and it was oh. casting a shadow possibly literally on the steps going up to the building. I see. So and going people back just 10 steps to notice this and notice the passage of time. Right. And go, huh. oh, okay, like, so 10 steps from now, I'm going to go <laughs> do whatever. And no one had yet connected the dots and thought, I could recreate this on a smaller scale, a much more... Guess not. Huh. It took them a while. Wow. Yeah, apparently. But yeah, sundials... I mean, okay, so the first device for indicating the time of day based on the sun was from, like, 3500 BC, right? Which is just, like, a stick 
that casts a shadow on the ground right. and makes a marks. And you make so like marks, people yeah. have known this for a long, long, long time, but like the actual like formal sundial with like actual marked out regular measurements that was consistent and stuff uh, is was not until much later. So I suppose I should have should have clarified that a little okay. bit. Um, we've unlocked it, sun and shadow technology. Yes, for quite a while. We've got that one. Okay. So the, the that's kind of all I found about that because when you ask the question of how did God turn time back on that day, you get the same bullshit of trying to come up with answers or other people going, "Don't try to come up with answers because." If you try to come up with a physical explanation, they're all absurd and impossible and would have been a huge catastrophic event on the earth that we would have had records of. So just don't. But one thing I did find that was interesting, and maybe you, Dedeker, have heard about this at all, but there's this thing that's been going around apparently for a couple hundred years. But the most recent version of it is this thing about NASA's computers. Oh, God. Okay, well, first of all, what? I don't know how it could be a couple hundred years if they're referencing NASA's computers. I'm saying this is the recent but version. This, there this have been theory. other versions yes. of this for hundreds yes, of years. Yes, I literally have a memory of being in like Christian school, my younger yeah. self, hearing this story. But maybe explain it for Emily. Yeah, I don't okay. know what you're talking about. Okay, so uh, this is from AnswersInGenesis.org. Uh, One of of the most persistent urban legends in Christianity is the tale that NASA computers have confirmed the biblical account of the long day in Joshua and potentially also this extra few minutes in Second Kings. Remember in Joshua where like the sun stood still? It was during a battle, battle right? Yes, during a battle. And he got, he was able to kill people because it was during the day as opposed to at night and he could see them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So... Anyway, this is something that's been incredibly widespread, this this thing. And basically, there were earlier versions of this that was just about other... Like, basically, once astronomy became a thing, uh, that it, it became this thing of like, oh, they've done calculations, and they've determined there's this missing 23 hours and however many minutes. And so... Whoa. You know, and they were all... So the story goes that NASA was running these simulations, and being all confused because they're like, we're missing this like 23 hours and something. What is it? And then a member of the team who is a Christian remembers this story, whips out their Bible and reads the thing about the sun standing still in Joshua 10, 13. And then the story goes after taking this into account, the NASA team was able to account for 23 hours and 20 minutes of the missing time. But what about the remaining 40 minutes? Well, in second Kings, there's this thing about the shadow going back 10 degrees. And so that's it. They've done it. They've, they've proven the Bible. And wow. basically, uh, it's all... Uh, it's got to be utter BS, right? It's utter BS. Uh, yeah. And here's what's funny about it. Here's what's funny. It's not utter BS because it didn't happen. I mean, it didn't happen. But... but <laughs> I mean, it didn't, but... <laughs> uh, it's not just because of that, but also... The idea that if you run a computer simulation backwards about the position of astrological bodies further back, yes, absolutely, you can do that. That's a thing that NASA does and you you can do. However, the idea of coming up with a missing day 
you have to have something to reference against to find yeah, a missing exactly. day. Yeah, That's what I'm saying is that yeah. you have to have like a start point, an end point that you're measuring from or you knowing have to have that like clock. we're expecting this yeah. number of days. And, and where it's yeah. just like, but how would you even get there? Right. So the yeah. whole premise yeah. is absurd. Like even like, yes, NASA did run these simulations back, but you can't have a missing day because there's nothing to compare it to because you would need to have an actually accurate clock running since the days of of joshua which is yeah, not going to happen we all know right? that that that's, didn't happen right yeah. that's not going to happen and there's also not even accurate enough astrological measurements from back then to be able to use as a reference point and even if there were a calendar would have have to have been kept perfectly so it's right. just like it's not it's not gonna but happen. i remember being told that yep. as fact were yep. you like okay <laughs> No, because no, I was a small it. child, yeah. and like the adults were telling me that, and it's and like, cool. Like, Whoa. Great. It's real. Cool. God. It's and real. it was before the internet, you know, so it's like no one can just whip out their phone and be like, I'm going to Google that. Um, right. You <laughs> right. just like take it. Yeah. yeah. Urban legend. That's a good, that's a good anyway. label for it. Just kind of picked up and repeated without fact checking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But apparently, mm. different types of that story date back to the late late 1800s wow that's, story, that's actually pretty funny the story was in a book in 1936 called the harmony of science and scripture talked Goodness. about the same kind of thing of like running wow. calculations harmony. backwards and realizing this missing day anyway that's wow. what i got i'm excited to hear what you two have okay yeah uh do you want to go em sure i so okay i looked up duders it was duder time um, yet again, because Duders like back. came back, yeah, in Second Kings with our fun friend Josiah. So he, if we remember, ordered the high priest Hilka to use this tax money which had been collected over the years to renovate the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so basically, she found or or well, I'm calling it a she. I don't know who Hilka is. It just Hil- sounds... Hilkia was, was the head Hilkia was the head priest, yeah. Okay, so probably probably a dude. But... Definitely a dude, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, they found this, this thing, this, like, sacred writing, and they were like, what is this? And they thought maybe it was either a copy of the Book of Deuteronomy or a text that became the part of Deuteronomy, which mm, is interesting. Okay. like the source it's text. Safe. Yeah. Yes, the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. So right. yeah, they sounds, said sounds like a Deuteronomy to me. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah, it does. Okay. Um so basically Hilkiah brought this scroll to Josiah's attention, and Josiah consulted this prophetess Hulda, and uh-huh. it said that Hulda assured him that the evil foretold in the document for non-observance of its instructions would come, yep. but not in his day. Because yeah. his heart was tender. And he humbled himself for the Lord. Okay. But basically it says that this book of the law... um, Okay, so for much of the 19th and 20th centuries, it was agreed among biblical scholars that this book of the law was an early version of the book of Deuteronomy, but recent biblical scholarship see it as largely legendary narrative about one of the earliest stages of the creation of Deuteronomistic work. So that's interesting. And it says basically that they believe that the book of the law was an early predecessor of the Torah, and it was invented by Josiah's priests, 
who were driven by ideological interests to centralize power under Josiah and the Temple of Jerusalem. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. And many scholars see that the the whole core narrative from Joshua to 2 Kings is comprising a Deuteronomistic history during Josiah's reign. So, like, that whole dang time, which is strange to me because it felt like Deuteronomy was, like, way in the past. But it's basically yeah. saying that it's not necessarily. It says some recent... European theologians even go so far as to posit that most of the Torah and Deuteronomistic history was composed and finalized several centuries later during the Persian period. And they basically say that it was using other earlier sources, including a brief chronicle of kings' names, age, beginning of their reign, and their mothers' names. So it sounds like kings is like Deuteronomistic history... And that maybe this thing that they found kind of inspired Deuteronomy, but wasn't necessarily it. That's okay, what I got so again, from this. Okay, so again, kind of a sh- implying kind of a shady, tenuous connection between. Yes, and Dedeker, go go for it. Go hog wild on your conspiracy theories. No, I don't. I don't have any for once. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm mostly just confused. Sounded like you were going there, but yes, Jace. Well, you know, we've we've talked about this a little bit on the show before. I guess it's been a while, but the the Deuteronomist the Deuteronomistic history that it's you a mentioned hard word yes is is kind of based on this idea that the Deuteronomists wrote or edited or put together not only Deuteronomy but also Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Wow, and I forgot about possibly that. the okay. Book of Jeremiah. Prolific so, person. Yeah, probably a group of people. But I I mean, this is like hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Yes. Well, I mean, they could have been written around the same time as each other, but they're based on other uh, other writings. Chronicling of a a chronicle of all these years, right? I mean, isn't it written in the book of the chronicles? Chronicles. You're right. Wow, I didn't even know that I was going there, but you. Uh, Yeah, no, so that's kind of the idea, is that the Deuteronomists are one of the authors of several of the books of those ones. So basically, everything we've been reading lately, according to this theory, was written around the same time, under Mm -hmm. the same kind of political climate, and potentially with the same sort of motives behind collecting this and writing it down, which the Deuteronomists are sort of characterized by... Um, being basically like monotheists, like they're the yeah, ones who are really right. strongly like we need to move toward monotheism. Whether this was being written down at the time we are now in the story, around eight hundred ish, I see other numbers around seven hundred, but then some saying they actually were probably written much later in like five hundred BC. So sometime though, close to where we are in the timeline. Supposedly, this was all getting written down. So all those stories we read from before, like Deuteronomy, were written down now. Maybe because they found this book. Yeah. Or maybe because they collected it from other writings or who knows. I don't know. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I guess we'll have to kind of see what, what happens with the book of Deuteronomy, if it's talked about later on, or if it's just like, yeah, whatever. 
<laughs> not a big deal. Yeah, whatever that thing happened, people still did bad stuff. Exactly. Right. Kings were still evil. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I've got a lot of very exciting stuff to talk about. Oh. And by very exciting, I mean very exciting to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. In Tell particular. Us about it. So Hezekiah's pool and conduit. Oh, oh right. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. It's just kind of a throwaway line. Right. You know, we're like, yeah, he did this thing and then he died. Um, so first of all, Hezekiah's pool and conduit supposedly have been found. We do Whoa. know where they are. Um there's the conduit is called this I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up and I'm sorry for all y'all who actually know how Hebrew works. The the Siloam or Shiloam tunnel, which okay. is okay. also known as Hezekiah's tunnel, that um how long is it? It's uh like five hundred and eighty three yards long. Yards. Um, who even measures the yeah, yards? What are you talking about? Well, yeah. I assume that you'd be really angry if I gave it to you in meters. So that's why I gave it to you in yards. <laughs> so meters yeah, that's not and much yards. better, but wow. Yeah. How many meters um, is it? Five hundred thirty three meters. Okay. And basically it, what's been found is like the the th- predominant theory is that um King Hezekiah was the one who ordered this construction and it was basically to prepare for the Assyrian siege to make sure that the city would have enough water supply. So they built this big underground tunnel and there's something about it where it doesn't quite count as an aqueduct, but I started getting bored reading that part. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This isn't quite word, but whatever. (laughs) So they call it a tunnel, not an aqueduct. I'm sure there's those of you out there who understand architecture who could exactly explain the difference. Um, But yeah, they found it and apparently it was built. There's an inscription inside of it explaining how it was built, that it was built by these two teams of tunnelers who started at one end and another team that started at the other. And of course, historians are like, how did they manage that? How did they manage to meet in the middle? And I guess the predominant theory, and I guess there's maybe some historical writings to to support this, is that they had to figure it out by listening like having someone listening from above to hear like the tapping of chiseling and hammers and stuff like that and then kind of guide people very slowly and surely but apparently there were a lot of mistakes in the directions as it was being constructed because as you can imagine that's a really hard way to get two teams of people to meet in the middle but what do you mean there were a lot of mistakes you're just speculating this or or, or does the tunnel no. like zig and zag does it, say that? <laughs> it just says and i'm reading this from the wikipedia it's clear from the tunnel itself that several directional errors were made during its construction <laughs> so okay i'm taking that to mean there must have been some ziggy zaggies I that see. they see they were like this days. looks a little weird to us <laughs> or they start oh. going a direction and had to like wall it back up and then go a different direction something like something. that yeah, okay. yeah they had to uh, really adjust as they were going along still a very impressive feat for yeah. wow. this time um now the tunnel leads to the pool hezekiah's pool oh, okay. uh which is in the old city of Jerusalem. And I have to tell you, there are so many things now that we're looking up that are in the old city of Jerusalem where I'm just like, gosh, all this stuff I didn't know about when I was in Jerusalem, like all these weird kind of B-list and C-list um, tourist <laughs> stops that I could have been going to. So that's yeah, why we need to go to Jerusalem great. together. Yeah, we'll to go, go back. again. Yep, it'll be yeah, great. Yeah, um, I'm going to show you, I'm going to share this image with you of Hezekiah's pool. Because it is in Jerusalem. It is dry now. Like there's some modern day pictures where it's it's mostly dry, but oh, wow. there's kind of some old pictures and old etchings of it being actually full. And yeah. it looks very much like a pool, as in like 
square, like Olympic style. Yeah, cool. it's like an actual pool. pool. I thought for sure it was just going to be either like a little thing like like the sea mm-hmm. that they that they made on the on the oxen with their butts in the center, or it was going to be like a lake. But this is yeah, it does look like a pool, but with but yeah, buildings no, around. It does it. with some buildings around it. Yeah, no, it is a cool thing, and it is wow. a thing you can visit today in Jerusalem. But so it got it's it. not going to be Let's wet. Go. No, I think that it may fill up with rainwater occasionally, okay. but generally, you know, that particular tunnel and this pool are not obviously not, um, you know, primary Full. sources of water for yeah, the city okay. of Jerusalem these days. And okay, the reason that this is exciting to me is I realize that I'm, I'm excited by ancient water sources. Oh, why do you think that okay. is? Well, this all started I mean, major when I cities when I was around in, water when I was in Istanbul because they have like the Roman cisterns still there in Istanbul and uh-huh. and they're just like amazing like oh, wow. absolutely amazing wow. when I went to the cisterns I was like it's oh my incredible. god I'm like in a dream and it was so cool to be there and I ended up visiting also another like ancient Roman cistern in Israel actually um That's very in cool. like this tiny little town outside Jerusalem and so this is something I didn't know about myself I'm like old water systems are really cool neat now, when you say cistern when I hear the word cistern I think of like uh you know like a little baptism bowl like a small no, thing. this is like but you're huge, talking about a building like a huge, huge building this is all underground cistern is all underground that's wow. incredible yeah those um, pictures are gorgeous we need to put them in the drunk bible study fans and fellowship yeah, facebook I will. group yeah no i took some cool pictures when i was there too it's it's super cool so yeah y'all check out some ancient water systems in your city if you got <laughs> it they're it. cool it's amazing wow. they're very cool actually the the one i visited in i stayed in this little tiny town in jerusalem kind of halfway or sorry it was halfway between jerusalem and tel aviv called ramla um that had this kind of well-preserved ancient roman cistern and they actually you could rent like a little boat yeah. to like boat around boat in the cistern, the cistern. if you wanted to like Wow. Just have fun. So that's Hezekiah's pool. Way more interesting than I thought it was going to be and <laughs> deserves way more than just one throwaway line in the Bible, in my yeah. humble opinion. How I mean, lovely. it was all written down in the book of the Chronicles. Yeah, so yeah. It's true. Yeah, they yeah. did a deeper dive in the book of Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so last thing is I just want to talk to you a little bit more about Hulda, our prophetess. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Who was mentioned. So she is one of the seven prophetesses of Jewish tradition. And we've met all these prophetesses except for one at this oh. point. Oh, really? Who, so basically, if you can remember any named female character in the Bible, she's probably <laughs> she's a, prophetess. a prophetess. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, they do name all of the women that are the moms of most of these kings. Well, but I mean, a named character who actually has that dialogue actually and does, does anything other okay. than just giving birth to, to a man. That's okay. true. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know then. Uh, so that's Sarah, Miriam, Deborah, oh. Hannah, Abigail, yeah. Esther, and Hulda. Oh, wow. So Esther's the only one we have not met yet. Wait, <laughs> so do they profit? Do, or, or are they profiteering? <laughs> Prophesy. Profiting? <laughs> Prophesying? Supposedly. Okay. Uh, huh. It's weird, though, because I don't feel like... Yeah. I'd have to go back and look again, but I don't feel like any of them really did prophecies unless it just i don't feel like all those people did they heard well, like yahweh Miriam, speak i i think maybe having more of a connection to god yeah hearing yeah. god speak was right, part of it because there was the whole thing with rachel was it of the like you did laugh i didn't laugh no, yes, you did oh, sarah, sarah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so i guess the exactly. fact that they could hear yahweh at all 
puts them yeah. in the profit category. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So she makes that list of the top seven prophetesses in the Bible. Um, by, top by top seven, seven do you mean <laughs> only <laughs> the only yes. the top seven yes. the seven that were the in there at all magnificent seven uh-huh. yes. yes and now commentary about holda is really interesting because a lot of people do comment on the fact that like we don't get a lot of information about her we get more yeah. information about her husband hmm. than we actually get about her and she's the one who's actually doing the prophesying yeah. And other people kind of spin that as like, oh, it shows you that God can speak through unknown messengers oh, and gracious. stuff like that. You know, all that. Um, yeah. There's theories that like her husband was in charge of the king's wardrobe. So she was probably a seamstress or probably yeah. helped him out in that regard. Um, oh, right. He was, the, he was the line the witch in the wardrobe guy. <laughs> I forgot about yes. that. Okay. Yes. Got he it, got was it. the, the seamstress. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and in the commentary also there's a lot of theories about maybe the king went to her. Okay, there's basically a lot of sexist theories, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh that all boil down to women naturally are more likely to pity someone or be empathetic and that's why we went to the female prophet in order to get some pity for the king. Wow. It's what some people say, but Thanks. cool. Yeah, it's cool. cool. It is yeah. cool. Anyway, mm-hmm. also I learned that Hulda means in in Hebrew weasel or mole. Huh? <laughs> Got to so find the mole. Got to find the, the greatest <laughs> name. <laughs> but wow. okay. I mean, maybe the weasel or the mole was very honored at that time. Yeah, maybe it was yeah. very. She was very crafty. Right. Yeah. Who knows? Right. Wow. Or maybe wow. she's really good at digging tunnels. Maybe Hezekiah put her on this tunnel project. There you go. <laughs> Gosh, goodness. Wow, that was a lot of information. This is a lot yeah, of bonus beautiful. episode. I know. A lot coming at you. Goodness. I love ancient water systems. I, I, I learned <laughs> See, something about you today. I, I, I don't know if I actually love them, and now I feel like there's going to be a lot of people reaching out to me with trivia that I don't actually care about. Um, <laughs> or you'll well, find that you love it. And you or maybe I'll find that I love it. Maybe love it even more. Drunk yeah. water source yeah. study. There you <laughs> okay. go. It's beautiful. Well, thank you all for sticking with us and learning all these fantastic things and we will see y'all next week for the finale of second yes. kings Whoa.